Alright, three, two, one. Alright, my name's Josh, and this is the second episode of the Status Dramaticus podcast. So, we have a guest today. I have uh, Rodney. He is a Harford County paramedic. So, you want to say hi to everybody there, Rodney? Hi, everybody. How you doing? <laughs> so, I, th- I don't think we can get away from talking about the COVID stuff, and I think Unfortunately or fortunately, we're going to end up talking about it either way with whatever podcast for a while until this goes away. But I'm just curious, and I'm sure some of the nurses are curious about what EMS does in the field or what has changed since COVID's come around. Yeah, so uh, things have been very interesting in the past two weeks. There's been a lot of changes for us, and as uh, more information comes in, we... uh, start getting a little more more concerned. Uh, I'd say a couple weeks ago, one of the biggest differences that we saw is in our dispatch, the screening, um, they would uh, tell us if uh, this was a possible PUI, a person possible person under investigation for the COVID virus. Um, and they would determine this off of a, a few questions that they would ask. Um, and if they answer something as easy as a cough, uh, we have to gown up uh, full body, which is something that we're not used to. I would say in EMS, mostly what we're used to doing is just putting on gloves. But gowning up in our case uh, means uh, putting on a uh, at least a surgical mask, uh, glasses, um, uh, head covering, net. I don't know if you... Uh, the bouffant. Is that what that's yep. called? A bouffant. Okay. <laughs> you can work on your fronts with that. Yes. <laughs> Très magnifique. And um, the gown, of course. And uh, I'm glad to say that on uh, the few instances that I've had to to don uh, this gear, uh, once we get there, uh, most of the coughs have been either chronic coughs or yeah, I coughed earlier today. They are not um, coughing on a regular basis, and uh, they don't have temperatures or any other type of flu symptoms. So it's a little bit frustrating uh, yeah. to have to don all this gear. You know, oh, one yeah. of them was a seizure. You know, so you're trying to play a balance act between protecting yourself and coming to attend uh, a patient. I think it's interesting too. It's like you don't realize the extra time it's going to take to gown up before you touch a patient, like putting your gloves on was one thing. And then all of a sudden you're asked to put on all these other things. So, and I I remember there was a situation a couple years ago where I was in a nursing home and just as we were getting to the nursing home, they're like, Oh, we, she's tested positive for TB. You're like, Oh, okay. Well I go over to the room. There's like a cleaning lady in there. There's like the, <laughs> the patient has the, the other resident in there. Yeah. It's like, no one told you anything. And then here we are just showing up and all of a sudden now you've got to, you know, protect yourself or find the equipment. And depending on, you know, the ambulance you're on every once in a while, you're not as <laughs> equipped as you should be. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I mean, that's just something interesting too, that we're dealing with in the hospital because how long it takes to gown up. And, and when I say gown up, if there's someone that's suspicious for it, you've got to put on the N95, you've got to put on the gloves, bouffant, the gowns, everything. And 
you know, it, it takes a little bit more time. And even in critical situations, you got to do that too, because you can't just go running into a room. Even cardiac arrest, you got to like, you got to think about that stuff. Yeah. So, um, well, that's pretty cool about the, the dispatch. Were they pretty on, well on top of that when all this came out? They were, and uh, this past week, I think they've done a little better job of uh, screening the calls, so that maybe uh, those things that were just a, a single cough didn't sound like they were too sick, you know, maybe we're not getting dispatched for a PUI so much. Uh, the only other difference that uh, we've had in the past week is um, we have to gown up for a cardiac arrest regardless. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, as far as the current research says, anything that is um, aerosolizing of it. So it sounds like, from what's coming out, when you can look at like the WHO website, it sounds like droplet precautions for mm -hmm. the most part. Yeah. But they had they also gave like a list of procedures that can generate aerosols, and that's what you're really worried about with the airborne stuff, and which is why everyone's making a big deal about the N95 and the Pappers and all that stuff. But I, I did make a list of all the things that were recommended you should wear the N95 at a minimum for, and that's uh, endotracheal intubation, bronchoscopy, open suctioning, nebulizer treatments, manual ventilation, which you end up doing a lot on the ambulance too, um, turning the patient to prone position. I thought that was an interesting one. That was a recommendation. So I guess you just have the fluid that builds up and then maybe as they change their breathing pattern, I don't know, maybe that puts more force on the droplets to aerosolize them. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Someone can correct me later on that one. But yeah. All I know is it's written on there. Uh, and then disconnecting the patient from the ventilator, a tracheostomy. So thinking about suction tracheostomies, which, I mean, we don't do that a lot in the ED, but on the floors, they, of course, are doing that. You guys aren't doing that most of the time, but private ambulance might do that every once in a while within our facilities. And then, of course, the big one, CPR. We were just talking about cardiac arrest. And, yeah, even if they're innovated, even if you should still be, you know, wearing the proper gear for that stuff when it aerosolizes. Um, do you guys have any PAPRs or anything on the units? What's a PAPR? Uh, okay, so that's um, a... That's, that's all right. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> so it's a uh, powered air purifying respirator. You might have seen... I've seen them. Yeah. So, so they, they got the little motor on the back. Right, right. No, we are not that advanced, and uh, I'm hard-pressed to see the immediate need for it. But, yeah, talk, talk to me about it. Yeah, so, I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's uh, it's battery-powered. It's got a filter in it. It's mm -hmm. supposed to filter out. I guess you would just have to specify on the uh, manufacturing specs on it. But I believe it's 5 microns, which okay. is, like, right around that cusp of if something's droplet or if it's something is droplet nuclei. Um, apparently those are also in short supply, So, yes. but it's another tool. You have like your N95 and you have the Pappers. You've probably seen a lot of us in the Pappers when we go into these rooms because some people didn't pass the N95 fit test. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. so that's for them. But also sometimes uh, you just don't have an N95 and some people even prefer the Pappers to the N95 because you're not, you know, having that on your face the entire time. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to downplay, I don't want it to sound like I'm downplaying that kind of, that level of uh, protection. Um, uh, I, I fully recognize uh, that, you know, to, 
that the best possible protection that we can have in this times is the best for all of us. Right. Uh, because none of us want to get infected by this. Um, so uh, we have not been tested for <laughs> a 95 fitting. <laughs> I think we're just at a level of put this on, clamp right. that nose, you know, try to find whatever size is best for you, medium or large. But n- none of us have been like, you pass and you fail. And it's probably because we have no other type of protections. Like right. That. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's just interesting the amount of supplies and people are, you know, just getting upset about the perceived shortages or well, maybe perceived isn't the best word, but apparently people are having trouble getting this equipment. And then they look at disasters like Italy and they see them all gowned up completely head to toe in the ET outfits. Yeah. And then you go to New York and you see the disaster striking there. So it's got everyone a little on edge. Yeah, and it's uh, something that I'm I'm conscious about too. Uh, do I want to use a surgical mask as opposed to an N95? I'm a surgical mask first guy. Our protocols here in this county are uh, not to don N95. I believe it's still the same. It, it's almost changing every day. But until we uh, do use an aerosol as small as a nasal cannula, but I'm very conscious about it personally uh, because I don't know if we're going to get to a point where these things run out. And um, am I going to run into a case where I really need it? And what will I do then? Uh, do we have an option to call the hazmat team to either bring this gear, to, you know, that will fully protect us before going into a home? Right. Um, yeah. Or just bringing in a whole team that is that is gowned up and some, or that's wearing the suits. Uh, I forget the name of the suits. We'll, we'll have to revisit that. Oh, the, the Papper? No, 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 no. Uh, the hazmat. Oh, the, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. They, they do have a particular name. Maybe that's another one that the listeners can correct they call, us on. Yeah. They call them the banana suits <laughs> in some places. Uh, right. When Ebola was going around about five to six years ago. The other thing with EMS that I think is really tricky is, uh, so you're changing environments when you're all gowned up. Mm-hmm. So it's staying cognizant of like what you're touching all the time, which is something that no one's used to. Especially like in EMS. Oh, absolutely. So you're going from patient's house into the unit and then into the off the unit into the hospital. Yeah. And it's like with all this in- infection control type of stuff, it's almost as if you just need all hands on deck. Yeah. Like, so people see you coming into the hospital, maybe they open the door for you or, you know, mm-hmm. hit the door opener and help you guys in there because, you know, you've been contaminated and you're also in a small space with some yeah. of these patients. And I'm getting a little more of an education on that as I go into the hospitals. Uh, nurses have I'm seen sure me everyone's going to say you're, something. Uh, contaminated, <laughs> everything, because you're not taking off your gloves when you leave the room. Uh, that's something that we haven't addressed outside of the hospital. So we're, we're receiving a little bit more of an education once we get in there. So please be patient with us. We appreciate uh, you helping us and being patient with us. So right. we're going to get this down. Well, I think everyone's trying, but it yeah. is just like, like a baseline of anxiety because everyone's oh. just watching the news. Everyone's probably so. checking stat, uh, statuses on Facebook constantly mm-hmm. and then just building it up. And there's even like a, a COVID anxiety. Sure. People saying COVID anxiety is real. 
Yeah. And and yeah, like this is a completely unknown thing. A lot of us have never worked through a pandemic before. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of ex- uh, that's expected of us. And supposedly, uh, Maryland is supposed to hit its peak in three to four weeks mm-hmm. from what the projections say. Yeah. So it's just crazy. It's yeah. just crazy to think about. One other thing I thought to add that is different is that we also have a checklist for people who are symptomatic uh, with flu-type symptoms. And um, if if they meet criteria where it's best for them to uh, quarantine at home, uh, we're urging that and and getting uh, refusals for that too. So that's very different. Also, the general uh, public that we've seen, although they are calling 911, they're concerned about this too. So when we do end up recommending that they stay home because of the possibility of being exposed to coronavirus and having other options like their uh, PCP, um, they're agreeing. And they're like, yeah, I I think I can call my doctor, try to schedule an appointment with with him and and go and see him. So that's interesting. Uh, So, and, and in addition to that, then the acuity of of calls that I've seen has been higher. Yeah. Uh, because we are not receiving uh, the uh, low acuity right uh, calls as much as we have. Your been. priority threes as much. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then that's that's basically been the same thing with the hospital. Yeah. Uh, a little bit lower on the priority threes and fours, but um, very high acuity. Um, some patients that are just very sick. And that's the interesting part is those patients were going to come anyway. Yeah. Like the hospital system was still working hard mm-hmm. and we were still going to get those patients in addition to all these uh, lower priority patients that are kind of unable to see a primary care or unable to get the appropriate care that they need that are for less urgent types of situations. But that's what I think the public might not understand entirely is that we are still, even if it seems like the waiting room is not packed with its normal 40, 50 people, mm-hmm. we're still getting very, very sick people. Yes. And mm-hmm. then with all these precautions in place, like we talked about earlier, like yes. gowning up before you go in every room with a very, very sick patient, you're probably going to be in there a little while. You're probably going to cluster your care, do as much as possible in the room before you step out. So while you're sweating bullets in some of these outfits, you're trying to get as much done as possible before you step out and see the next really sick person. Yeah. So I'm really impressed with what I've seen in the ERs. Uh, you guys are doing a, a great job. And uh, to know that you're having higher acuity patients that are now even more susceptible to COVID-19, um, just very proud of you guys um, and what That's you're doing nice. to, to protect them. Oh, where's this coming from? Oh, you, nice compliments here. You guys are just doing an awesome job. <laughs> I'll take it. I just pulled up my chats yeah. online uh, since we're talking about, you know, um, not as many patients. And there's only one color on there. So anybody who knows what I'm talking about, chats, it tells you the hospital bed availabilities. And I only see one hospital on red. Oh, there, so yeah. Different. No, that's good. So, I mean, that's this, also very, very this stay at home thing is, is having an effect. And I think, and I think from the, uh, the reports, at least what you see on the news, they are saying that the social distancing and the stay at home type of message that we're sending out to everyone is having a positive effect. Yeah. 
So it was all about, uh, what they say, just dampening that curve or flattening the curve. I think that's what they were saying. Mm -hmm. So, but I also do think it's interesting how pressed we were prior to this. And then you're introducing a pandemic on top of, you know, every, mm -hmm. everyone in healthcare working their butts off already. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hope all the efforts that uh, everyone in our community uh, from our patient side, we just say civilians to uh, medical workers uh, are just doing their absolute utmost best to uh, keep that curve down and uh, right. we can make it through this. Uh, with... I think I think we will. I think we'll make it through it. Um, it's just keep repeating those messages. Everyone mm -hmm. keep doing what they're supposed to do. Um, don't come to the hospital. I mean, and that's it's hard to say that you can't say yeah. don't come to the hospital yeah. because there's some things you like if you got chest pain you've got all this other stuff coming on but the normal stuff that you could probably see a primary care for and if you're ever in doubt i guess you're still like you got to call 911 yeah. you know so yeah. that's a tough thing to and we're going to talk about you and we're going to help you get through this and help you make the right choice all right if we got to take you we're we're going to take you right right well, um, let's see. Anything, anything else EMS is doing, or anything changing that you've noticed on your side? Oh yeah, here's another little interesting thing. We're uh, doing a wellness check before we begin our shifts. Uh, that's that's good. Our, yeah, that started at Harvey uh, uh, Grace, and uh, now um, the foundation. Uh, who I work for is uh, having all their employees do it, so you can get your vitals done on a on a unit, get a temperature, right? And uh, that way, there's a record of it. Yeah. Um, are you guys doing that in the hospital? Uh, well, if we have an exposure, like I had a confirmed COVID patient, mm -hmm. and now I'm supposed to, it's like a self monitoring, and they sent me a form from the hospital. So for 14 days, I'm supposed to take my temperature in the morning and the evening, mm -hmm. and there's a form online that I can put these temperatures in and I can send them. So it's just, it's a self-monitoring thing, but I mean, it keeps me, you know, checking up on myself yeah. <laughs> too, if I start to develop a fever, because I think majority of cases with the COVID have a fever. I think it was some really high percentages, okay. like 99% or so had fever when they were yeah. with this. Okay. And like, yeah, we are, we are getting COVID patients. Yeah. I mean, I think Franklin Square had 34 co uh, confirmed COVID patients. And I think we were at, our hospital was at, what was it? Uh, I want to say it was like eight or nine or something along those lines. Okay. But yeah, I had a definite COVID um, last week. And then it's, they let you know that you've been, ex or, you know, you've had a patient, yeah. but as long as you're, I mean, I was in a PAPR the entire time. Oh, so, because yeah. when that person came in, they just looked yeah. very sick. So immediately it was like a negative pressure room. And then it was um, put the paper on, yeah. cluster your care, and yeah, just take care of it and got them up up to the IMC, I believe. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, um, for those who aren't in the medical field who 
might be listening to this, uh, there seem to be uh, two types of reaction. Uh, when I refer to the checklist where you could possibly stay home, it's general uh, flu-like symptoms, fever, um, and uh, aches and pains. But if you can stay home, if you're stable enough, you can wait it out at home. But there are more severe uh, patients, some more severe type symptoms like a respiratory distress, right? Uh, where you are probably then urged to come in. But if you could talk a little bit about that, like maybe what could EMS look for at, in the more severe uh, cases that would be like, yeah, you you need to come in. Uh, that's, see, that's that's so tricky mm-hmm. coming from an. Uh, so. I know like from our flow sheets and stuff, we had like an algorithm for a while Mm -hmm. and the algorithm involved like shortness of breath, cough, sore throat, Mm -hmm. um, fever. And there was one, there was one more thing, but trying, like trying to pinpoint who has to and who doesn't need to come to the hospital. That gets hard. Yeah. But so you're a really sick patient. I mean, what were some of the symptoms they were exhibiting that took them all the way up to the ICU? I, I assume that, uh, so like, a, what's it, uh, pneumonia? So that's the that's the big thing. So a lot of these patients that we see that are in bad shape, they're fatigued. Yeah. So we always talk about work of breathing, and mm-hmm. they come in with like low O2 sets, like people that don't didn't require oxygen at home, yeah. all of a sudden needing oxygen, yeah. mm-hmm. and so far from what I, what we hear about this, uh, the virus is that it attacks the lungs. So mm-hmm. you're ending up with, uh, pneumonia and then ARDS. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're working so hard to breathe against this extra fluid in your lungs or like wall thickening of the cells that are stopping perfusion or uh, diffusion mm-hmm. of your O2. And then you just can't breathe and you're just using all these extra muscles that you normally don't use to breathe. And then you fatigue, you wear yourself out. And then unfortunately uh, you end up with an endotracheal tube and yeah, you're for the, uh, the ventilator. ventilator, Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's an interesting thing too. It's just another resource that we haven't, we haven't depleted at least it, at our hospital, mm-hmm. um, but we hear cases of New York. New York is having a rough time. Italy, they were talking about multiple ventilators. Mm-hmm. So, like the mild flu-like flu-like symptoms. I know people want to be tested, but at the same time, it's like, okay, so what's the risk you're really willing to take if you fa- go out somewhere to get tested? Yeah. Like, so you're waiting somewhere, or you're in a room and you're you're probably exposed to more covid types of situations outside of the facility so if you didn't have it you put yourself at greater risk for having it and now maryland has testing sites but you do have to uh get a uh your primary care your yeah, appointment from your doctor you got to get a note from your doctor to get tested for. right right but uh i know people keep making a big deal about the testing and actually, it's a, there's another thought I had. Um, so it's about the mortality rate. So people keep saying that we're not testing enough, mm-hmm. but 
I believe when you, you're doing the mortality rate, it's uh, the number of people that have died as the numerator and then the n number of cases is the denominator. Mm -hmm. And people keep using this, this reasoning that, oh, we don't know how bad it is because the, the, uh, we were not testing everybody, yeah. right? But the thing is, is from what I'm understanding, the, the mortality rate hasn't changed even though we're testing more now. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's like. If you have it, you have it. And your outcome is going to be your outcome. Yeah. So they would, so if, if you, if you tested more and there weren't as many deaths, mm -hmm. you would expect the mortality rate to go down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not. Even with the more testing, yeah. as far as I as, as I oh, see from the numbers, okay. you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah. So you can say we're we're testing more, and there are people saying, "Oh, we don't even know what the actual mortality rate is because we're not testing everybody." Yeah. But the mortality rates still continue to rise, yeah. even with more confirmed cases because of testing. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, this it seems like it's still getting worse. Yeah which kind of is consistent with the peak not quite being here yet. Yeah. If that makes sense to anybody. I don't know. I just kind of went around that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all in the uh, very early stages of this. so That's what they tell us. Yeah. But, I mean, I, th I, I believe it. I mean, I guess really now's the time to prepare for stuff. So. Yeah. I mean, they said they were going to open up the convention center downtown mm -hmm. to act as a a hospital for this situation. And then, you know, the Baltimore hospitals need help. But I think every hospital already needed help yeah. before this. And staffing was an issue in a lot of different places. So there's a need all over the place. It's scary. It's scary. But at the same time, it's like we want we want it to be both ways. So you don't want to scare people to the point where they rush out and they gather all the toilet paper and hoard it in the yeah. closets. <laughs> but you also don't want to, you know, terrify people to make bad decisions, but it's, it's a happy medium between the two. You like, you want everyone to social distance. So you want to scare them enough to do that. <laughs> But you don't want to scare them enough that they run around and take the every yeah. supply of something, especially with like our more vulnerable populations, like our elderly and everything. They're having trouble getting stuff, yeah. like basic needs, because someone bought up something. It was just I still don't get the toilet paper thing. Yeah, that's blown my mind for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. Um. So uh, we were talking about uh grocery stores and uh, apparently a lot of them have been rationing their food mm -hmm. um, i haven't seen toilet paper in a in an aisle in like two weeks so <laughs> i can't i don't know what they're doing with that right i don't know i just hold that in the back <laughs> and you have to have like a special passcode yeah, yeah. to, to get toilet paper but i mean that's that's good too because i i think a lot of the stores are doing a great job because yeah. they're like funneling people along the lines and trying to limit exposure themselves uh, it's just an interesting world we're living in right now. Like everything's different. Everything's yeah. not the same. Yeah. Unfortunately, somehow the whole buying up things is a 
reaction of human nature that we're not we're just not used to seeing um you know the food disappearing <laughs> off the shelves you know we're just not used to seeing that but um i guess as time goes on uh those markets are going to start planning so that everybody is taken care of right and we you know, were talking about you know people being frightened you know so people are frightened but uh, you know i guess on the other end we're gonna also teach them that you can't just you know um right stockpile things. yeah stockpiling things and like using things inappropriately but yeah. you like see that a lot too yeah like uh we had like a delivery driver that was just wearing gloves the entire time like so he's he's touching everything so he's like in in the shop touching the cardboard boxes that the food comes in then come to your door pulling your door handle having a pen in his pocket all with the same gloves it's it's the same as your hands (laughs) (laughs) you're you everything that you would have had on your hands is on those gloves now. You're just wearing hospital gloves. Yeah. <laughs> We're all learning. Yeah, and it's it's tough, but I I do think the best thing to do, and this is like one of those reasons I wanted to do this podcast, is like you just you got to keep keep learning. You yeah. got to keep growing in some way, even if you're a healthcare professional, or even if like from being a paramedic and being a nurse, being in EMS, being in the hospital, you just notice that there's not a lot of health literacy. Yeah. If you know what I mean by that. It's, well, I was at that point, at one point in my life, I knew nothing about health and healthcare. Right. And when you when you don't know stuff about that, how do you make a good decision yeah. if you have no concept of these systems in your body and how things work, what medications do? It's a whole other thing. So we have to be patient with those who, you know, just are not in our sphere. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, treat them kindly, treat them lovingly, let them know that it's, uh, it is something to be concerned about. You know, we got to uh, uh, be prepared, but this is how you be prepared, you know? Right. So when, you know, when you are in the hospital switching out the, the gloves and, you know, even when you're at home washing your hands regularly after you... That's the big one. That's the big one. The more you hear about this, it's like uh, some of the other countries that have have been dealing with this as well have had some pretty good outcomes or at least reported because I guess you never really know unless you're there. But hand washing, hand washing needs to be easy, easy to do. Maybe find ways to make that easier. Like, you know, when you go into like the restrooms and they have those automatic sensors that never seem to work. (laughs) So you're like, oh, screw this. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. but I noticed that uh, a lot of hospitals went to those types of sensors yeah. to use, but maybe, maybe you do need the old fashioned handle for the spigot so that you can make sure that you can turn the spigot on to wash your hands. Mm-hmm. The simple stuff like coughing into your arm. Which is just silly, but I can't even tell you how many times you guys bring in a person on the stretcher. Yeah. You know how they, like you're like eye level with them uh-huh. when you're standing, when they're on the stretcher, and they just cough yeah. right in your face. Yeah, but maybe that's part of helpless literacy, <laughs> unless there's something else going on there. But sometimes uh, it's the case. I mean, some patients will take the mask off. They'll just feel really uncomfortable. Well, yeah. Now that's a good point too, because uh, um, 
there's one guy I had not too long ago. He insisted on wearing the mask, mm-hmm. but he only wore it over his lips. So as he's talking, yeah. you can see his top lip <laughs> moving over it and his nose and just breathing. <laughs> and I said, ah, we should probably put this on. He's like, well, I, I don't like it on mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I was like, well, you're not, I don't think you're really helping anything, right? (laughs) But I, I, we can do better, but I think it's also going to take some education and teaching each other. And like you said, being patient with each other, these things are hard, but I think what it, after all this is said and done, what do we, what do we get out of this? Do we prepare a little bit better for pandemics later do we teach do we get better at teaching like health literacy in schools like my son Mm -hmm. he's seven months old Mm -hmm. when he goes to school am i gonna have to you know i I plan on teaching him everything i can but is this something that we need to do in schools these are thoughts yeah again we're very early into this but i am already thinking uh i lived through 9 11 and mm-hmm. that was world changing and i could point to the way how airports operate it's completely different uh from before 9 11 to, to after so i just compared to that and uh, how is ems and how is uh healthcare uh going to be after this are we going to be wearing masks more often I think a huge market has been created for these masks that's probably not going to go away. Yeah. Um, so are we going to be wearing, you know, a mask and glasses in addition to our gloves on every call? Um, and then in the hospital, how are, you know, are you going to see more PPE being used? Right. Um, because, uh, and they're already bringing up that this could be seasonal. It could go away in the summer, hopefully, but it could come right back in the fall. Well, I think with that, they're using just our history, which, you know, you should always learn from your history. And it was that Spanish flu in 1918. Mm -hmm. And that's from what you read about that, that had this heavy hit and then summer came along. Mm -hmm. And then as you started, the weather started getting colder, it came back, but no one was prepared for it and Mm -hmm. killed thousands more people. So, and we like... I think the scariest part of this is that we just don't know. We're not there yet. Like we haven't even solidified if this is airborne or droplet. So we just go for the most extreme Mm -hmm. of the isolation precautions, like back to our pappers and 95s, all that stuff. So it's a completely different time. And I think we're going to learn a lot from this. We're going to get through it. But in the meantime, I think we need to start thinking, like, how do we become resilient to these things? Yeah. We eat better. We need to exercise more. Like, all the things that we should have been doing, but none of us yeah. <laughs> want to do it. Yeah. Now we're on this house isolation and the social distancing. Maybe it's uh, be like a self-reflection yeah. type of time now. <laughs> I love the responses of people on Facebook and Instagram, you know, playing their music, just doing something to cheer you up, you know, making up lists of music or movies to watch or exercises to do at home. Right. But I think once we're able to go back out, we're going to appreciate it a oh, lot yeah. more and we're going to be dying to go out. Oh, yeah. Businesses are going to be dying to have it and we're going to be dying to give it to them. Right. So right. I can't wait. Yeah, no, Something it's, it's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to feel good to get out yeah. of house and have a little bit of freedom again. Yeah. So <laughs> thank you to everybody out there who has done whatever they can to make this uh, bearable. Right. Uh, 
<laughs> thing to go through is we have to stay at home when yeah. we're when we're not out, you know, doing them their necessities everyone's gonna watch every show possible on netflix <laughs> and then we're all gonna just talk about i think everyone's talking about that tiger what's the what's the, 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 uh, <laughs> the t- whatever the tiger show yeah, was man man and mullet with tiger <laughs> that's all i know about it <laughs> well um i think the only other thing i i really have for this podcast is um uh, one of our listeners asked for more clarification on the last time we talked about uh, most forms. And we briefly touched on like palliative care and most bees uh, for do not resuscitate. Mm-hmm. And um, the only thing I wanted to bring about that is that a patient can uh, orally revoke, oh, yeah. but it only applies to that one transport. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> just to clarify that. And authorized decision makers for that patient cannot revoke the most. No. Yeah. Just just to be clear. Yeah. But because it came up, and I know there's a lot of invasive things that don't seem invasive, like EKGs and stuff that we do with those patients, but uh-huh. it's still considered invasive when we don't do that. But the patient can say, you know, treat me. Yep. You know, especially Absolutely managing pain, can. all that stuff. I've had it happen. That's right. It's not often, but it happens. Yep. It happens, and it's just good to know. It just is. be clear in your protocols. It it's hard to memorize that giant book, but <laughs> <laughs> we do our best. Yeah. Um, they, they know what they want, yeah. so, and they let you know, I don't want to go. I'm not ready to go, right. so if something happens. <laughs> but that's the thing, too, is in those this, this types of situations, uh, a lot of times it's not like it's not – around the time of death you know it's like yeah. you got a uti yeah and i just need yeah. antibiotics so yeah. please take me to the hospital yeah right and when it's treatable it's it should be thought about differently yes. so that's the only thing from the last podcast and i want to say thank you to all our listeners um with our education nights i think we had towards the end of when we stopped doing it maybe 10 people but the last time i looked at our views i had 85 people so already that's much much better turnout (laughs) all right well uh i think that's all i have for this podcast rodney you got anything to add no that's all i appreciate you having me here yeah it's awesome thanks for being the first guest so we just talked about the episode two of the status dramaticus podcast if you have comments questions uh ideas for topics or you want to be a guest you can email me at Status Dramaticus R N E M S at gmail.com. And also, I post on Facebook, and you can find the channel on YouTube. It's the first uh, search option that comes up, which I was very happy about. The Status Dramaticus podcast. It'll be the first thing you see when it types in, when you type it into uh, YouTube. All right, so that's all we have for you, and uh, I hope everyone enjoyed listening and have a good night.